What is up? What is up? What is up? Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show and Full Court Press Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Davis, founder of the MitchDavisShow.com, podcast host of the Full Court Press Basketball Podcast and the Mitch Davis Show Podcast as well. Memphis beat writer for TigerSportsReport.com and everything in between. You can find all the sports content you your heart could ever desire over there on the MitchDavisShow.com. Got a very special edition of the podcast today. Going to be joined by a sports writing Hall of Fame member. This guy has been in the business for 45 plus years. Mr. Dick Wise is going to be joining uh, the show today to talk all things college basketball. This guy has been the 45 Final Fours, a member of the Sports Writing Hall of Fame, one of the greatest sports writers of all time, one of the greatest basketball sports writers of all time. So it was an honor to have one of my role models on the podcast today. I know each and every one of you will enjoy it, but before we get into that, I'd like for you to head on over to social media, type in The Mitch Davis Show, and you can find every podcast and every article by simply typing in The Mitch Davis Show or TheMitchDavisShow.com. So sit back and enjoy the show as Mr. Dick Wise joins the podcast to talk all things college basketball. Remember, I'll head over to social media. Follow the social media page, The Mitch Davis Show, and also head on over to the website by simply typing in TheMitchDavisShow.com. Have a great weekend, guys. Hope you enjoy this interview. I, I am joined now by a man that needs no introduction if you know the game of college football and college basketball, Mr. Hoops himself, sports writer, Hall of Fame, Mr. Dick Weiss. How are you doing today? I'm great, Mitch. How are you? I'm doing good. I, I I feel like I'm talking to one of my all-time just guys I look up to, my role model in the sports journalism world. So I'm doing well, and thank you so much for coming on my podcast today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Let's uh let's talk about this uh, before we get into all the history and all the good stuff. Let's talk about this season of college uh, basketball, and uh, you could throw in a little college football as well. Talk about the COVID situation. I mean, you know, you and I were talking before we went on air how weird it is. You know, you show up to the press box and you go in and it's assigned time and you leave and you do the uh, press conference in your car or, you know, a, a separate room. And uh, let's just talk about that. What is that? How has that been different for you uh, over the last, you know, 40 years you've been in the business and now you get to this? It's the most unpredictable season that I've covered, Mitch. Uh, so far, as of Wednesday, there have been 600 basketball games that have been canceled uh, because of the pandemic. And teams that are playing are finding out that they've had to make adjustments on the fly, that they've had to fit games in they didn't even know play. I just talked to Dawn Obi yesterday. They had been up in Bubbleville and Huntersville. Uh, they originally went up thinking they were going to play two games in the Empire Classic. They actually thought they were going to play Baylor in the second, uh, on the second night. Well, Baylor ends up having to withdraw because Scott Drew got, got COVID. They expected to go home Friday. Friday morning, they found out they were playing an additional game against Virginia Tech. Then after that, they expected to go home Sunday, and they found out they had a chance to play another game against Hartford on Tuesday night. It was a safe, secure environment, but when you walk in there, you're under house arrest. <laughs> Going over it usually takes 
one bus up to games like that. They had to take two. When they got there, they checked in. The players were not allowed to leave their rooms. They were not allowed to walk around the hall. They were not allowed to go to the lobby. They were not allowed to leave the hotel unless they, they, they came together as a group and were led there by a security official so they could stay away from other teams or anyone else in the hotel. It made it hard for them mentally because I think the players were ready to leave on Friday and then they ended up leaving Tuesday night. But it was a safe environment. It's just that everything has got to be buttoned up this year, Mitch. I mean, you're in a situation where uh, if you if you have one player test positive, you could miss 14 games. Once the season starts, that means at least three games. So people are trying to fit in games whenever they can. I mean, I don't think going over had any idea they were going to play Virginia Tech or Hartford when the season started, but there were two teams in Philadelphia that were originally on the schedule, Temple and St. Joe's, and both those teams are in COVID pauses right now. I mean, Temple is yet to play a game. St. Joe's went down to Fort Myers, played in a two-game tournament, the same tournament as Gonzaga in Kansas. As soon as they got home, one of their players tested positive. So they're on the so they're kind of like in quarantine right now. And this is the way it's going to be. Uh, most of the year, I'm afraid. Uh, you know, I, you, I mean, everybody sadly does not have the luxury of playing in a bubble. So, if you go on the road, you you take your chances. I, you know, I was kind of uh, all for the idea of playing more of a localized schedule, so teams wouldn't have to get on planes, so they could play games and get home that night, because. Right now, we're up to 200 infections, 200,000 infections a day. And, you know, even if these are young, healthy college kids, it can have, and no one knows what the effects are going to be. Yeah. Now, you talked about adjusting on the fly. I tell you, two teams that with freshmen, the, you know, we're seeing the freshmen really look like freshmen this year, especially uh, with Memphis, Kentucky, Duke. Uh, three teams that normally are pretty good, especially Kentucky and Duke. Talk about those two teams in particular and what they've had to do and accomplish and, and overcome in the last three weeks. Well, you know, it's ironic that uh, Kentucky and uh, Duke are the poster ch- children <laughs> for the one-and-done uh, philosophy. And I think that they have finally found out this year that it may take a little longer for them to grow up. I mean, I've watched Kentucky. I watched the Kentucky-Kansas game where they struggled to make a three for a a second straight game. They are starting three top 35 freshmen, but I'm not sure whether their point guard, Askew, is ready to run a team like Kentucky. And I'm somewhat surprised that as athletic uh, as B.J. Uh, Boston and Terrence Clark are, they have not become better shooters in this situation. I mean, it's only, you know, with John, and John has called Kentucky a no-excuse program, but I don't know if you're going to be able to find anything out about this team until uh, 
until February, and they're going to make freshman mistakes. My biggest fear for college basketball right now with freshmen is so many of them learn the game on the AAU travel circuit. Not enough of them really learn the game in high school. So when you get them, you almost have to teach them how hard the college game from scratch. And most of these kids have been enormous stars in high school. They get to college at programs like Duke or Kentucky, and suddenly they have to learn how to fit in. I mean, ball movement, spacing, they're used to getting the ball whenever they want it. They have to learn how to share with, with each other. Same thing happened to Duke when they played Michigan State. When Michigan State got the ball and they got out in transition, Duke became really flummoxed. And unlike past games in uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium, they didn't have the support of their fan base to help them through it. I mean, if, if uh, Kentucky is playing Richmond and Rupp and they have 24,000 people, it's a lot different than playing before 3,000. Yeah. And, and let's talk about that fan experience because, you know, you, you have been around the game of college basketball uh, probably, what, 40, 50 years, and I've only been around it for 24. Um, it, you know, growing up, you always would have 24,000 at Rupp or you would have – you know, 18,000 in FedEx form or 21,000 at Tops of Bowling in Knoxville. Um, talk about how that's going to change now and, and, and how that's going to be the landscape of college basketball this season and, and the change that you expect with that. Well, I think we're, we're seeing uh, two things. The idea of having a home court advantage is really starting to disappear. I mean, and teams that have been overwhelmingly successful at home are finding out they're almost playing neutral site games. And the other thing that's probably going to change if it gets to this point is the makeup of the tournament. I mean, in the past, uh, they had eight sub-regional sites and people would feed down to four and, and then to a, a, a final four. Uh, this year, they're talking about playing the entire tournament in one location in Indianapolis so teams don't have to try travel and maybe creating their own bubble but you know it's like anything else it can cause problems uh if you have that many teams in the same location we're gonna have to be very careful they're gonna have to be very careful about uh, being able to conduct interviews i mean anymore if you are a member of the media you're covering a basketball game you can guarantee, for the most part, you're going to be seated upstairs and nowhere near the floor uh, and the, the Tier 1 players. And at the end of the game, you are not going to have any real access to a coach other than a Zoom interview. And the same with the players. They want to keep everybody as dis socially distanced as possible. Now, we have a big game on Saturday. I want to talk about this game before we get into the history of college basketball. This game is a national championship Final Four talent uh, caliber uh, game. Talk about this preview. What do you expect out of it, and who do you think is going to win? Gonzaga and Baylor, if our fans, my listeners, don't know who's playing. Gonzaga, Baylor, one versus two. Talk about the matchup. Yeah, I mean, look, as far as I can see, these are the two best teams in the country in the early season. I think it'll be Gonzaga's offense versus Baylor's defense. I think it'll be Gonzaga's bigs versus Baylor's guards. Uh, I think that anybody who watched 
Um, the uh, Gonzaga West Virginia game could see Gonzaga can score even if they, even if Drew Timmy has a bad first half, he's still capable of going off. And Gonzaga literally now has five players that could leave them scoring in any given situation after uh, we watched Andrew Nemhart really step up and play a huge role for them in the win over West Virginia. I mean, they got, they, Gonzaga got 87 on a team that very rarely gives up 70 and is very, traditionally very good at uh, uh, defend, on the defensive end because they're so physical. I mean, this is not a classic West Virginia team in the fact it's not press Virginia. They don't they don't play ninety feet the way that they used to, but they can make it very hard on your bigs. And you know, Gonzaga feeds off their front court. They feed off Timmy. They feed off uh, Corey Kesper. I mean, those, both of those guys are capable of getting twenty five in any given game. Uh, I think the most interesting thing for me will be Baylor Baylor's guards versus. Uh, Gonzaga's guards. I want to see if uh, Jalen Suggs, the young freshman who has been a revelation to anybody who hadn't seen him play in Minneapolis, is completely healthy after going down the first half against West Virginia because they need him at the point. I mean, he did come back in the game after he was injured, but he didn't play the point. <clears throat> they had uh, Andrew Nemark won the ball, and he played off the ball uh, in most of that game. Uh, Gonzaga has three guards who can all score and can all pass the ball. Joey Ayi and, uh, and, 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 uh, and, and Nemark and Suggs are all legitimate players. I mean, it does, when Suggs is healthy and running the point, he does not play like a freshman. He's the real deal. You, then you turn. Oh, then you look at Baylor. I mean, I already thought their guard play was very good. They had four players coming back from last year who made one of the top three uh, All Big Twelve teams. I mean, and they had and they got lucky this year because originally Jared Butler and uh, uh, Jared Butler and uh, and uh, oh, Kai Tig were both going to leave and apply for, uh, declare for the pros. Both changed their minds, and suddenly they come back, and Baylor has the best starting backcourt in the league. Well, it's not just that. They also have Davian Mitchell, and they have Mark Vidal, and they have Jared Plagler, who was a uh, transfer from Presbyterian, where he was the rookie of the year in a, a, a smaller league, but is an exceptional three-point shooter. I mean, they're guard, they have as much depth to guard spot as anyone in the country. These are really good teams. I mean, it's ironic when you look at some of the classic blue bloods. I mean, you, you figure that Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, UCLA are traditional blue bloods in the sport. They all have losses. I mean, Baylor and Gonzaga look like they could play with not only any of them, but they look like you play with any in the country. Now I've got to ask you this question before we get into a couple of history questions. Do you think this is finally Mark Few and Gonzaga's year to win a national championship? They've been so close, but never have been able to get over that hump. 
I, I do. And I, I mean, we're talking about a guy who built a brand. I mean, they were heading in the right direction under Dan Monson, but Mark has won almost 83% of his games since he became the head coach. He's been to 22 straight uh, tournaments. Uh, he got to uh, a national championship final against Carolina back in 17. And I think this team could be his best team. He's had a lot of really good teams. Yeah, I mean, the team that lost to Connecticut in the regional finals back in the 90s was very good. But uh, this team may have the most talent. And they're starting, you know, I mean, I would suggest that Suggs, Timmy, Kispert are all going to play at the next level. So you have a team with upper-class experience for the most part and a team with future pros and a team that has an excellent coach who knows how to win games uh, and whose team and whose players play with great confidence on the offensive end. I mean, I, I love what Mark Pugh has done with this team, Mitch. I mean, yeah. he, there's a, at Gonzaga, they built their program with very resourceful recruiting, particularly in York. And he has continued to do that by getting players not just out of Europe, but out, but getting the best players in Canada uh, to come in and play for him. And they're they're fun to watch. I mean, because they can hurt you from so many different different uh, directions. Now I am a I'm a college basketball history guy. I love history. So we're gonna we're gonna turn the corner. You have covered how many Final Fours have you covered total in your career? Forty-seven. Forty-seven. All right, so here's my question. Here's my first question for this. What has been your favorite moment of a Final Four that you've covered in your 47 seasons of covering the Final Four? Uh, I think probably the semifinals in 1983 between Louisville and Houston when they, but when, when they had an eight-minute stretch in the second half that was kind of a introduction to a different level of basketball. That, that was the dunk-a-thon that took place with the McCray brothers and uh, and, uh, and Drexler and Michu and Elijah Wan. I mean, people, the media was actually jumping out of their seats. Games were so, so, so wild. As far as games are concerned, I think the 83 final, because it had such a stunning ending when Lorenzo Charles made a shot at the buzzer, and then Villanova's first championship in 85, because no one thought they could beat Georgetown. I mean, uh, uh, for me, it was, it meant a lot more at the time. I was still working in Philadelphia, uh, and I was covering Villanova. And uh, the, before the tournament, they had lost by to Pittsburgh in the last regular season game by 25. They got into the tournament and played six perfect games. Uh, and they did it with players who knew each other. They did it with players who were seniors, both McLeanings and Pinkney. And they beat a much better, much more talented team um, with Ewing and, and, and Reggie Williams. Uh, and, you know, I mean, Georgetown was a shark back from 92 through 87, and they cut your head off if you let them. Yeah. I mean, they were really, really good. And John really, he intimidated people with, with, with pressure. As far as other games that I've watched, I love 
I love any Final Four game that tends to end in drama. I love Memphis, Kansas, even though I've, I've done a book with with, with uh, John Calipari. Uh, I did when he was at UMass, and when he was at Memphis, uh, uh, I thought that he had enough talent to win his first national championship. That's the year that they had Derrick Rose, and they played a Kansas team. Uh, that had Arthur and, 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 and Chalmers in that group. And they had the game won, and they didn't guard the three. Chalmers makes the three, forces overtime, and Kansas goes on to win in overtime. And then I guess I, I, I really liked Donovan's second national championship because of the way that they, I'm sorry, their second, their second national championship under Jay Wright 18 because of the way that they shot three on an elevated stage. I had been to the 2011 Final Four in Houston where team, where, where uh, Butler shot 18% the final and a loss to uh, Connecticut. I mean, Villanova went in there, they were I mean, they were shooting 60 for most of both of those games. They just destroyed teams like Kansas and Michigan in the Final Four. And the only reason I say that is when you grow up in Philadelphia, you never expect a team that you cover to win a national championship. And I've known Jay since he was in college. And it made it really nice to see somebody that you've known all those years have that type of success. So those things really kind of stand out for me. But you know, I mean, I was I was in uh, I was in St. Louis the night that Walt shot twenty one for twenty two and scored forty four points against Memphis. That was a huge game for me. I mean, uh, I was uh, in Seattle the night Seton Hall came back and uh, and, and 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 beat Michigan in overtime uh, after I. I mean, sorry, well, Michigan beat Seton Hall in overtime uh, after after they couldn't beat uh, Illinois uh, and didn't even come close in the regular season uh, uh, during the Big Ten competition. They end up beating them in the semifinals, then they beat then they beat Michigan. Uh, I'm sorry, then they beat Seton Hall to win the the tournament. So there's been a lot of wild wild games. I think the the Duke. Vegas game when Vegas had a chance to, to for a perfect record going into the tournament and ended up getting beat uh, by a Duke team that they had beaten by thirty the year before in the national semifinals. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of games that stand out. That's what makes the Final Four so special because people are, now remember those games. Because every team that makes the Final Four, which I think you feel is a success in its own right. I mean, people, you make the Final Four, your season has been successful. Because and only one of those teams is going to win. So it's a lot to hang your hat on when you go back out and recruit. Now, I got two more questions for you. And this uh, this next <laughs> question. I Look, I, I'm a basketball guy. I love basketball. And I've always wondered, especially from you, who's been in the business for years on years, who has been, in your argument, the best athlete that you covered? Not the best all-time, but the best college basketball athlete that you have covered in your in your career? Probably Walt. Probably Bill Walton, because, 
because he was a dominant player uh, at the center position, the most dominant player I'd ever seen in the center position. I, I, I tell you, I was stunned when they lost that double overtime game to uh, NC State in 74 because I didn't think anybody could stop what he did. I mean, he well, I got a chance to see him play about seven or eight times for UCLA when he was there. And then he was, I mean, back when, before the birth of the three and before the shot clock, centers were a lot more important. And I thought he was the most dominant center that I had seen other than Jabbar. Now, the last question I have for you, this is a personal question. When everything is said and done and you retire and uh, when you retire, um, what do you want your legacy to be, you know, for maybe young journalists or just anybody, what do you want your lasting legacy to be? I, I think giving back to the game and giving back to the people who write about the game. I think it's really important to encourage younger journalists and, 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 young, and younger people in the broadcast media because I worry about what's going to happen with the future because so many people who get in the business get in for the fame rather and the glory rather than the love of the game anymore. I think that's happened now that people are working both in newspapers and uh, and and broadcast media where you have a lot of people who start newspapers and they get and then realize they can make a lot more money in television. But I, you know, when I started out, the coaches and the writers were actually making the same money, which doesn't happen anymore, as we all know. But uh, I think that it made it easier to talk to them. It made it easier to get to know them. I mean, most of the older coaches now, I get to know at a very young age when they were just starting out. So it's made it better, and it's been easier to uh, to build relationships with guys like with, with guys as opposed to now where everything is podium and coaches are somewhat concerned they could end up hurting the amount of money they make with any sort of negative publicity. And I think it's been a lot harder for uh, writers and coaches to build a trust level right now. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I'm, I, I'm appreciative of that. But, you know, the one thing I would tell people is just try to be fair. You're never going to be totally objective. Everyone has their own opinion. But just try to be fair and realize that these are kids. I mean, they're 18 or 19-year-old kids. And unlike the pros, for the most part, the players are paid and they are a lot more fair game. Most of these kids go through the same problems that writers went through when they were in college, too. I mean, they're still growing up. They're still going to make mistakes. And I think... Uh, you have to realize that before you take that cheap shot at, at a kid at the end of a at the end of a sentence. It really didn't have to be. That really didn't need to be be said. I'm a big believer in criticizing if the criti criticism is merited, but I, I I'm really still as a guy who's been around a lot. I'm not into the whole cheap shot thing. Yeah. He is Dick Wise. Tell them where they can follow you on Twitter. All your work. I tell you what, I I have been following you since I got into this business, and I, I will say this on the record: to interview one of my role models and my guys that I look up to, 
it has been probably the best, if not the best, interview I've ever done, and, and it's a great honor to have you on my show today. Well, Mitch, it was so nice talking to you, and, you know, look, I, I still work for Ben Basketball Times as associate editor, and I, and I work for a, a uh, I, I, I was in Philadelphia, I was a sports columnist at the New York Daily News for about 21 years, and uh, I still work for a website called Blue Star Media that literally sends me all over the world to cover international basketball when there are uh, U.S. junior and senior teams involved. I mean, I've, I've got the chance to go to places like Prague and Cairo and the Canary Islands and Barcelona and wherever there are big, big tournaments. I was supposed to, I was in Rio in 16, I was supposed to go to Japan uh, for the Olympics this year, but... You know, with COVID, I, you know, I didn't go. And frankly, I'm not sure whether I'll even go if they have in 2021, only because I'm really afraid that we're not going to get true representation on the U.S. national team. And I'm, I'm, uh, the NBA season ends three days before the start of the Olympics. And so I don't know, after playing a different type of season this year and coming right back to, and starting the season in December, I think these players are going to be exhausted. And I'm not sure how many of them are willing to risk their entire career to go right back out and play in a competitive tournament in two weeks. You have been listening to The Mitch Davis Show and the Full Court Press Podcast with Mitch Davis. A very special thank you to our very awesome and special guest, Mr. Dick Wise, for joining the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it as we talked all things college, basketball. Very, very great interview with a guy that knows the business and knows the game of basketball and whose nickname is Mr. Hoops. So I hope you enjoyed it. Head on over to the website, TheMitchDavisShow.com. You can also find the podcast and all the social media by typing in The Mitch Davis Show or The Full Court Press. That's how you find all the shows and all the podcasts and the website by typing in The Mitch Davis Show or at Full Court Press. Press on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, everywhere else you can find the podcast by simply typing in that. I've been Mitch Davis, and you've been listening to the Full Court Press Basketball Podcast and the Mitch Davis Show as well. Have a great weekend full of basketball and football and some good family and food time. Hope you enjoy and have a blessed, safe weekend.